Samuel demonstrates three ways in which God's gift love operates toward us in prayer as we are praying. It demonstrates three ways in which God's gift love operates toward us as we pray. The first way that it operates is that in God's gift love, prayer forms us into people for God. God forms us especially deeply through prayers of lament. And here is the forming, the particular forming that God does in us as we pray our prayers of lament. God moves us from false gods to the one true God. Here's how it happens in the first third of the passage, verses 1 through 4. Brad has, has called to your mind the background to it. The first six chapters of 1 Samuel have already, reckon, have already recorded the preceding years as a long, dark time for Israel, for God's people. There has been little care or concern or reading or hearing of God's word or care for God himself. Israel's own leaders have been corrupt and abusive. The Philistines, as Brad explained, have, have uh, attacked Israel and have captured Israel's national treasure, the Ark of God's Covenant, going back to the time of Moses and the Exodus. And God has returned the Ark to Israel. But Israel is broken by all of this and mourns its dark estate. As we begin chapter 7, Israel is lamenting. Lament is a form of praying. And it enters every one of our lives. We lament the death of a child or a spouse. We lament a broken marriage. We lament a shattered dream. We lament a betrayal or rejection by someone whom we trusted. We lament a long physical affliction. We lament the shame of a personal failure. And lots of other things we have to lament. In lament, whatever it is, we are crying out our need. And you have observed probably that some people go through those very hard, painful experiences, and they become bitter, and they turn away from God and want nothing more to do with God. The story in this chapter takes a different course. In this chapter, people draw near to God instead of turning away from God, though they are experiencing much lament. This chapter, then, we, in this chapter, we want to be watching for what makes the difference between those who lament and turn away from God and those who lament and draw near to God. This chapter tells of three dimensions to Israel's lamenting. They're important to see. They lament first in a place in relation to God. For they lament, it says, after God. That word after is a Hebrew preposition, achri, which means literally behind. It describes Israel as trying to draw near to God 
from behind him, from a distance behind him. The second dimension of their lamenting is that they lament in time in relation to God. For some 20 years of time, they lament after the Lord. 20 years. And the third dimension is that they lament together in relation to God. For it says, all the house of Israel is lamenting after the Lord. Does God answer their prayer, their lament? Yes, he does. But as with our prayers, God answers in his time and in his way. Here in this, in this instance, God answers by the appearance of Samuel. The last time Samuel was seen in the whole book of 1 Samuel was back in chapter 3 and the very first verse of chapter 4 when he was a boy, probably around 10 years old, serving God in the temple. By Mosaic law in Numbers chapter 4, the age of 30 was the age at which a Hebrew man could become a priest. So for 20 years of Israel's lament, Samuel has been growing up until he's old enough to be a priest and judge for Israel. Samuel is God's answer to their prayer of lament. And he tells them, Samuel does, as the gift that God in his love has given to them, Samuel tells them the word with which God has given him to the people of Israel. His word from God is, put away, if you're really returning to God now, put away the foreign gods from among you. If you want to draw near to God, put away the foreign gods from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. What? <laughs> For 20 years they have been lamenting after the Lord and they are still keeping foreign gods? They're still holding on to their gods? A few days ago I read this passage with my grandson Warren to see how he would understand it. And he saw it immediately. He said, Maybe their idols are the problem. <laughs> and we did what you just did. We laughed together over his mock, his mock surprise. Idols hold a grip on Israel, as they do on us, on our craving for whatever our idols are, whether it's the idol of desiring power or craving importance, or, or, uh, or craving pleasures or whatever idols there are in our lives. The gripping deception of idols, any idol, is that we think, we think we can keep loving that idol and control it and still control it, but we can't. It's how we want it to be. We want to be able to deliver ourselves so Israel continues longing for life to be better from this long, dark time. They continue to lament it and desire for life to get better while they keep loving their idols. Their idols are keeping them from God, just as our idols keep us from the one true God. The truth is that salvation is nothing that we do 
ourselves. It is a gift given by God's gift love. We do not save ourselves. As Israel has lamented for 20 years, the Lord has been getting the people ready to put their idols away. This is the profound change that is going on, that is forming in them as they pray, moving them from false gods to the one true God. Samuel tells Israel of this gift God, of this gift love that God will give them. He says, if you are wanting to draw near to God, put away the foreign gods, direct your heart to the Lord, serve him only, and he, he will deliver you. Not your idols, but he will deliver you. Salvation is a gift, he says, and that is cause for us to keep on praying even through the long, dark times of lament in our own lives. In such praying, God is drawing us from our idols, away from our idols, to himself to save us, to save us. In a very short but very marvelous book called Teach Us to Pray, Gordon T. Smith says, listen, Every aspect of our lives must be brought under the dynamic and benevolent authority of Christ. Only under this authority do we know life, healing, and transformation. There is no spiritual growth, no spiritual maturity, without a dynamic rhythm of learning, understanding, and confessing, with confession as the actual leverage point in moving us toward wisdom and holiness. All right, that's the first way in which God's gift love operates toward us as we pray. Second way is that God's, as God's gift love operates in us as we pray, he deepens our trust in God. That deepening moves us from being self-reliant to relying on God. I want to show you how it happens here in the middle part of the passage, verses 5 through 12. The text here, if you, read the, if you could read the Hebrew text, you would find the text making narrative connections for us to see how God's gift love grows Israel to trust and rely on God as they pray together. Verse by verse. Verse 5 connects being together, their being together, and they're praying. Samuel tells all Israel get to gather together. And it's for the purpose of prayer, specifically for Samuel to pray for them. But then verse 6 connects their being together and everyone praying. Because it says, so they gathered, and the people then do some very significant praying themselves. And it includes prayers of desire for God. When it says they pour out water and fast before the Lord together, that those are acts of desiring God together. They're saying, we, Lord, we desire you more than we desire water or food. We desire you above anything else. And they, and they are praying prayers of confession because they say, we have sinned against the Lord. We, plural, we together, in unison, we have sinned against the Lord. 
and receiving. They prayer praise of receiving because it says Samuel judges them. It means they are now receiving God's word openly from Samuel, which is a prayerful stance to take in openness to God. When we open ourselves to God to receive his word, that's prayer. And then verse 7 connects Israel's gathering together and the Philistines attacking. It says the Philistines heard that Israel had gathered and they saw that as the opportune time to attack. That's what prompts them to attack Israel. Then verse 8 connects the Philistines' threat and Israel's choice of what they do when they gather. It's their choice to pray. Israel sees the threat of the Philistines as a time for intercessory prayer. They name to Samuel the one whom they want Samuel to the one to whom they want Samuel to pray. They say to Samuel, pray to the Lord our God that he may save us. There is theology in what they say there, and it's important that we believe good theology as we are praying. The theology that we believe matters as we pray. They are believing now that the Lord is their God. They are embracing him as their God. So pray, Samuel, to the Lord our God because we are relying on him to save us, that he may save us. And then verses 9 and 10 connect the Philistines' attack and Samuel's prayer and the Lord's answer to his prayer. Three things connected together now in this verse. These two verses, 9 and 10. The Hebrew syntax does some very deliberate connecting of the timing among those three things, those three events. That connection of the timing is translated in the English text simply with the word as. And that's right. That's what it means. But the, the Hebrew syntax is saying something more strong than that. It's saying it more strongly than simply as, a little two-letter word that you can overlook as incidental. It's not incidental here. It should be translated something stronger like, it was just as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering that the Philistines drew near to attack. As the Philistines, just as the Philistines draw near to attack, Israel draws near to God in prayer. Just as their prayer is being offered with the, the burnt offering sacrifice, just as that is happening, the Lord thunders with a mighty sound and throws the Philistines into confusion, that is, into panic, and they flee. And notice in, in these very specific and immediate connections, there's also a larger narrative connection connection to, to see. They have lamented, remember, for 20 years before they saw God's answer to their lament. But now that they have put their confidence in God and they're relying upon God and they're praying to God, counting on him to save them, now they find God giving an immediate answer. What is God forming in Israel? He is forming faith in them. Faith that he answers prayer 
whether the timing is long or short, whether the answer is something they were expecting or something they haven't been accepting. Whatever they're praying, it says they are saying that they are relying intimately on God. And we, too, can do that when we pray. Because later, Jesus told his disciples it was so. He, he addressed this same mystery of God's answer to prayer and how he does it. For Jesus said, you remember this? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then in verses 11 and 12, these two verses connect Israel's victory and the Lord's act. Israel drives the Philistines away. Samuel sets up the stone, which he names Ebenezer, which means sense of a stone of help. It is to state that their salvation has been the Lord's doing, that they know it is the Lord's doing. And it's always so, salvation. Our salvation is always the Lord's doing. Martin Luther said, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther, he said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. That's the second way in which God's gift love operates toward us as we pray. The third way is in the last part of the passage. The third way is that in gift love, God leads us to pray with expectant hope. With their reliance now on God who saves, they can pray with hope that however God answers their prayer, God will do what is good and right and just. And with that, by realizing that as they pray, God moves them into being a people for God together, which returns us to the grand truth of the whole Bible, that God has made us a people for him together. And he loves us. Here's how it happens in the last third of the passage, verses 13 to 17. The Lord gives them a revival in this section. I say revival because it bears the, his, the, the, the historical marks of revival all the way through to our own day. The first mark of revival is peace, but not just peace as quietness. It's peace by the, the Hebrew word shalom, which is what's being translated here with the word peace. Shalom means wholeness, completedness. The Philistines are subdued. Israelite territories and cities previously taken by the Philistines are restored. Peace is established with neighbors. It's a comprehensive kind of peace, a wholeness. And a second mark of, of historical mark of revivals is justice. It says Samuel judged Israel. That means he administered justice. Three times, did you notice? Three times in the last three verses. It says Israel, Samuel judged Israel to emphasize that the people are now receiving the word of God, which is speaking justice to them and instructing them in justice. The word is no longer rare, as it said back in chapter 3, but now the word of God is being valued. Justice is being received 
in the word of God and it is being practiced by the people. Justice is happening. And the third historical marker revival is prayer. The story ends with Samuel building an altar to the Lord. The very last verse. Building an altar to the Lord. The word altar means place of sacrifice. It means that now, as Samuel takes this annual circuit and he builds an altar, now, now sacrifices are being offered. Now worship is happening. Now people are gathering to pray and they're doing these things regularly, over and over. You see in the picture of this revival that Israel's relationship with God has changed. And his, their relationship with God has changed because God has changed Israel. Which is what he needs to do in us, to change us. In their praying, God has been forming them. And now that he has been forming them all the way into revival, to live as the people of God, do they, need, do they no longer need to pray? Well, you can guess it, of course. They do still need to pray. In fact, they pray more. Prayer becomes their new norm in revival. It's what the New Testament urges, urges for us too. Because Paul urged the Philistines to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So the Bible overall is a story of God's gift love to his people. In this particular story, this story began with the people deep in spiritual and moral darkness. And what happened in the course of this story? First, God gave. All the way through, God gave. But first, God gave his people 20 years of praying. And then God gave them Samuel to bring God's word to them, telling them to pray repenting of sin, of idols. And then God gave them a gift of praying together in unity. God gave them faith to trust and rely upon God. God gave, them, gave his people a dramatic and immediate deliverance from the Philistine attack in answer to prayer. And finally, God gave his people a revival of peace and justice and prayer. Now, here's a final question for you. Is it realistic to think that the arc of this story in 1 Samuel 7 could be our story today? Could that be so? Well, to give that question a severe test, the most severe test I can think of in our day, let's ask that question about the people who have lots to lament right now in Ukraine. Two days ago, I read an interview with a Ukrainian pastor who has remained in Kyiv to care for the people. And he says in the interview, interview he reports that God is giving good gifts, gift love to them. And here are some of the gifts he mentions in the interview. God is giving them, he says, answers to prayer. For he says, I'm quoting, people talk a lot about praying now, and they say God has protected us. He is seeing that God is giving them a gathering together in unity now. The way he says it is, I see a lot of satanic violence. This is an unprovoked war. But also I see how God is raising our country to extreme unity and collaboration. We used to have de denominational walls. But now the partnership we have between different churches is amazing. I do see God's hand in this. 
And he says that God is giving them reliance on God. It is very hard, he says, for me to be just. When I ask God to intervene, when I ask him to break the bones of my enemies, I know that his reaction will be proper, timely, and just. We are absolutely dependent on God. And he says God is giving them a drawing near to God. He says, when you compare the size of Russia and Ukraine, we are fighting a giant. The only hope we have is God. So yes, I do pray. And he says, God is giving us hope. I'm working with my closest friends, he says, and our dialogue is very sincere, honest, and authentic. That gives me hope. And also when I see really deep suffering, unjust suffering, that gives me hope. Because knowing something about God, I know that he will not be passive. He will intervene. He has already intervened. One day this war will be over. I am convinced that only the church has the capacity to be the platform for healing, restoration, and reconciliation. He has hope for that. And he says that God is giving them revival that is a complete transformation of their society. He says it this way, the gospel impacts politics, for example, as well as everything else. And the statement, Jesus is Lord, has political resonance. This is about our ultimate loyalty. Worship has political resonance. Whom do we worship? The gospel is so powerful that it transforms every area of our life. And one last thing that he sees God giving them. God is giving them faith. He co I'm quoting him now. Someone asked me, do you still believe in God? I may have some thoughts before the war. I may have had some thoughts before war, some thoughts of doubt. But now I have no doubt about God. God has brought him and is bringing others to faith. You've just heard several things that he reports that God is giving them, and they are strikingly similar to the very things we read in 1 Samuel. So I say to you from this scripture, grace and peace, two things. Believe God's gift love, and therefore draw near to God in prayer. Let's do that now. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray to you. Believing, we pray this believing your gift love, that your gift love is free and generous, that you love us always and freely by your grace. And therefore, we would draw near to you, Lord. We draw near to you simply by believing in your love, because of your love. We can't bring ourselves to you, but you can draw us to yourself. You can draw us into the fullness, the completeness of life. You can lead us in paths of righteousness. You can bring reconciliation. You can bring peace. You can bring peace to Ukraine and peace to us here. We come to you, Lord, believing in your gift love. We draw near to you right now in prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.